So 6 p.m. you can come out that early if you would like to. Uh, you don't have to come out at 7. If you all come out at 7, it's going to be a little bit overwhelming. So 6 o'clock, sometime between 6 and 7 would be great. Awesome. We're going to jump into tonight's message. Uh, and if you're new here, if you've not been to Chi Alpha, we'd like to say hello and welcome. So glad that you're here. My name is Steve, and uh, my wife's name is Erin. I don't know where she's at. There she is. So if you haven't met Erin yet, make sure you get a chance to meet Erin. We're glad that you're here and uh, that you chose to be with us tonight. And uh, we want you to feel part of the family. So got a question for you guys. Does anybody uh, know somebody in here who you would uh, maybe describe them as narcissistic? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Uh, like, really? That's only like three of you? Some of you are like, well, I don't want to be judgy, all right? Uh, how many of you maybe have struggled with narcissism yourself in the past? Can we just be honest with, okay? Some of you are, the fact that you don't think you struggle with narcissism means that maybe you struggle with narcissism, all right? Uh, narcissism essentially is this. If you don't know what narcissism is, it is selfishness involving a sense of entitlement, a lack of empathy, and a need for admiration. So I'm going to ask this again. How many of us have ever struggled with selfishness, a lack of empathy, or a need for admiration? Raise your hand. Okay, so we're all there. We have all struggled with narcissism. Narcissism, selfishness, is hardwired into our flesh, into our minds. By nature, we are selfish people. We all struggled with this, and, and the reality is, is sometimes we struggle with it in a way that kind of manifests itself more kind of in people's face, and other times we kind of hide it, and we kind of push it back, because obviously pride or selfishness is not a character trait that is necessarily attractive, and so we kind of just push it away. But we all struggle with our universe revolving around us sometimes, right? Narcissism, another definition of narcissism is that you are just in the center of your own world or the center of your own universe. And we get in these tracks of thinking in which everything kind of revolves around me. And we've been trained in narcissism our entire lives, if you think about it, right? You and I have lived in a world in which we have been raised in a consumer society. Everything that gets made gets made for you, right? Because they want you to buy stuff. And so that gets fine-tuned to meet your exact need at the exact right moment of your life. Not to mention that, but we're also in America, we live in a very individualistic culture as opposed to a community culture or uh, a collective culture. We are an individualistic society, meaning that we kind of look after our own issues or our own family's issues before we look after the issues of others. We live in a world in which our voice can be heard at any second of any day at any time on multiple different platforms. And that voice on social media is not just something that we get to do, it is expected of us. And in fact, in some situations that we've encountered in our world, silence on social media communicates just as much as writing something. 
And this has trained you and trained me to think that our thoughts and our life actually, that the world cares about our thoughts far more than probably the world does most of the time, right? Can we just be honest about that? We have been trained to worship our own personal health, especially our own emotional health. We've been told to trust our feelings, and that if you feel something, that means that it is obviously real. We've been told to have you be you. And that works, right, until all of a sudden we reach a place in our lives in which we don't really like that about ourselves. And even our doing good, our good deeds tend to become about us sometimes, right? So we do something pretty awesome for somebody else, and maybe all of a sudden a photo of that missions trip that we took ends up on social media. We're like, yeah, I do things for the world. You know what I'm saying? We've all been there. Some of you are like, oh, i got to delete my missions trip photos off of my social media account right now. Kind of look what I did, right? Look who I am. I'm a good person, right? We have a word for this in, in today, right, called virtue signaling. We like to virtue signal and make sure that everybody knows that I'm a good person and that I'm going to make sure that I post something about whether or not so that other people think that I'm a good person. And then, you get, then there's people who get mad at the virtue signalers for virtue signaling, which is also a form of virtue signaling. Uh, if you really think about it, there's actually a funny meme on that. I thought this was really funny, uh, but it's cut off, so never mind. All right. Uh, it says, uh, I don't even know what it says on the top. All right, well, it's cut off, so there you go. Skip that. All right. Yeah, what if constantly accusing people of virtue signaling is the truest form of virtue signaling, which is kind of true, right? But we all of these things kind of revolve around us, right? And unfortunately, all of this stuff that we consume in our everyday has a tendency to creep into our walks with Jesus. If you think about it, a lot of times we ask ourselves, what can my church do for me, right? Or what can serving Jesus do for me? Now, there's a lot that serving Jesus can do for you. It can set you free, obviously. It can, it can set you on a path of healing and restoration. Ultimately, obviously, salvation is found in Jesus. But when we ask ourselves, what am I going to get out of church? What am I going to get out of my walk with Jesus? What am I going to get out of this leadership position that someone has asked me to step into? It becomes a narcissistic Christianity. How can I get something out of it? Or the world tells us like, yeah, you, yeah you, you, need, you need spiritual health in your life, but make sure you maintain a healthy balance. Not too much, right? And the craziest thing is, is that when I read the Bible and I look at some of the early followers of Jesus, there was very little narcissism in them. If there was an ounce of narcissism in them, if they were selfish, worried about their own lives and having their world revolve around them, then they would not have become martyrs for Jesus, right? This is something that was not present in them. And you look throughout our, our Christianity today, a lot of times if you, uh, you might be singing a worship song and pretty soon you realize that, man, this song is more about how God makes me, me feel than it is about God himself. Ever notice that? That some songs are even like, 
God, you make me feel this way. You make me feel this. You make me feel that. And really, who's that worship song about? It's kind of about us, right? Rather than about a na the nature or the character of God. And uh, we have this weird thing that we do as American Christians sometimes. Uh, do we all know the verse Philippians 4.13? All right. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? And you maybe have heard me talk about this before. I've used this in a message before. So uh, uh, we maybe have seen this. Now, if you have this T-shirt and you're wearing it tonight, I'm sorry, all right? Uh, but I'm going to knock on it for just a second, okay? We have this really awesome Philippians 4.13 T-shirt. And I love how it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's in like little font, right? But here's what's crazy about this verse. We have taken this verse and we've Americanized it and we've narcissized it. And that's not a word, but I just made that up, so just roll with it, okay? We've narcissized this verse. We've made it all about us. And so what do we do? We paint it on our eye blocks or our, on our basketball shoes, and we say, God, I am about to go play basketball. I would like you to help me with my basketball skills. So who's that prayer for? It's for my glory and it is for my benefit. Philippians 4.13 was written in the context of Paul, the Apostle Paul, being in prison. And he is talking about suffering and being content in whatever the circumstances. The dude's in prison. He's not dunking basketballs. Or asking God to bless his business ventures. He's saying, I can, and if we were to uh, use this verse in the context, I think it would be more accurately said, I can endure all things through Christ who gives me strength. That when God calls me to do something for his glory, he is going to give me the strength that is needed to be able to bring him glory, even if there is stink involved. You see how this can get dangerous if we become narcissistic in our thinking and following Jesus? We don't make it long as followers of Christ if we're asking Jesus, what am I going to get out of this? Jesus made this evident to us through talking about how he came as a servant, not to be served, but to serve. And his disciples were constantly arguing about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, right? Oh, who's going to have, who's going to sit at your right hand and your left hand? Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to have all these blessings? And Jesus was always there to call them back and say, no, 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 guys, it is not about that. He said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. He talked about giving and good deeds as, as being something in which we are to not let our right hand know what our left hand is doing. If that were to get translated into today's language, it would be like this. Do not let your Instagram followers know what your hands are doing, right? In other words, it's not about you and it's not about receiving glory. It's not about our own world and everything revolving around it. 
Tonight, I want to challenge you to remove yourself from the center of your universe and to put Jesus in that center of that universe and have everything in your life revolve around him. It might sound extreme. It might sound crazy, but it's actually a heck of a lot easier, and it's a heck of a lot more sustainable. It's a way more sustainable way to follow Jesus than the former. Okay, so it's really quiet in here, and I, I knew that talking about narcissism was probably not the, like, like, woohoo, you know, like, yeah, narcissism, I love it, all right, but, uh, but it's okay to be alive. Are we alive? All right, all right, so just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm narcissistic, and that's okay, I'm working on it, all right, go ahead, do that right now, all right? All right, perfect, because we're all like this, all right? Uh, we're all like this. It's okay. So uh, we need to admit that we have a problem. So we're going to go through some symptoms of narcissism. And I want to see if you can identify any of these symptoms. And you're going to be like, oh, that's why I do that. Or, ooh, that's why I think the way I think. So some symptoms of, oh, we already have them all up there. Okay, awesome. Uh, well, okay. We're struggling with the slide department today, and that's all right. Uh, uh, so symptoms of narcissism. The first one is fear. Fear derives itself from narcissism. Constantly thinking about myself and my situation. Constantly thinking about whether my reputation is safe, my body is safe, or that I am somehow going to be emotionally safe. And if I'm not, then I get incredibly uncomfortable. I'm constantly thinking about what others are thinking about me and the fact that the reality is, is that sometimes we think that other people are thinking about us far more than they're actually thinking about us, right? I'm going to say that again. Most of the time, we think that other people are thinking about us far more than they're actually thinking about us. Fear is the enemy of evangelism. If I am constantly worried about what somebody's going to think, about whether my reputation is going to be destroyed, whether I'm going to get rejected, and I'm going to have to feel that, and it's not going to feel good, right? It's putting me in the center of all of that and my own feelings in the center of all that rather than putting Christ in the center of all that. The second one is insecurity. If you are in charge of, uh, if, if you are in the center of your own universe, you are putting yourself in charge of your self-value and your self-worth. And so you're going to find that in what you do accomplish or how you behave or how other people see you. And you will always be feeling like something is left short. Usually insecurity exhibits itself as pride. A lot of times we, uh, we think that pride is a, is a core issue. Pride is just a symptom of insecurity. It is us overcompensating because we feel insecure about a different area of our life. So if I can overcompensate in this area of my life, I can know that ah, I got this really down good and I'm going to make sure everybody knows I have this down good and I'm going to make sure to make that really public that I have this down good so that I don't need to deal with this thing over here that I know that I'm not actually that good at. Another symptom of narcissism is comparison. We look at other people and, 
and we're like, oh, well, okay, since all of my focus is on me, I'm looking at me, I'm looking at all my faults, and I look at Sai, and I'm like, well, Sai is way better with people than I am, and, and Neil's way better at, like, everything than I am, and, and, you know, all of this stuff, right? And pretty soon before we know it, we're constantly comparing ourselves. Comparison still puts us in the middle of our world, Right? The fourth symptom is catastrophizing. We think that the whole world is going to explode at any given moment because my life is unraveling and coming apart. It's a very narcissistic way of looking at the world. Like the whole world is against me. For example, right? This is an example of catastrophizing. Uh, if, if, I, if I don't study enough for this test, I'm going to fail this test. If I fail this test, then I'm going to potentially fail this class. And if I fail this class, then I'm not going to get into this next class. And if I don't get into the next class, I'm not going to be able to graduate on time. And if I don't graduate on time, I'm not going to get a job on time. And if I don't get a job on time, I'm not going to make enough money. And if I don't make enough money, no one's ever going to want to marry me. And if no one ever is going to want to marry me, then I'm going to live the rest of my life lonely, die at 90 years old all by myself. We've done that before, haven't we? All of us have catastrophized. And maybe not to that degree, all right, but we've all catastrophized in our life where we just, like, make our problems so incredibly huge. It's like the world is not nearly as against you as what you think it is. Or that person that said that thing to you, maybe they weren't being nearly as malicious as what you were giving them credit for. Well, I can't believe they'd do that. I can't believe they'd say that. The only reason that they would say that is because they obviously have total disregard for my feelings, right? And we catastrophize the situation, and it kind of just blows it out of proportion, and it puts us in the center of our own little world. And then finally, the fifth one is judgment. Well, anybody who doesn't think like me is obviously an idiot, right? And we, that's a symptom of narcissism, that we just like get so close-minded in our thinking. And it doesn't mean that we have to be open to and accepting all ideas. It just means that we have to understand that, that just because someone doesn't think like me doesn't make them a complete moron, right? Narcissism leads us never stepping out. It leads us to walking in hurt, never having joy, always being fearful, and will leave us with a path of broken relationships. So we don't want this, right? So we're going to read in Romans 12 tonight as to how to break this, okay? Romans 12 verse 3 says this, do not think more high of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Remove yourself from the center of your own universe. And then he goes on to talk about how this can be made possible. Verse 4, just as each of you it, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. 
We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. And he goes on to list a bunch of different gifts and the fact that we all are good at different things. And then he goes on to say this in verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient, or serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with those, with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. It's a wonderful portion of Scripture. This is actually my favorite portion of Scripture to, uh, to preach on when I'm uh, officiating the wedding because it's all about removing yourself from the center of your universe. So tonight we're going to go through these really quick, but in order to fight narcissism in our lives, it's going to take practice. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm ready for practice. <laughs> Good. Good job. Wow. Okay. We're participating. We're... We're ready for practice. There's four practices to fighting narcissism. The first one is God-centered thinking. God-centered thinking. In verse 3, he starts by saying, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. In other words, put God in the center of all of this. And I want to give you a little, like, practical way to be able to do this in your everyday life. Have you ever been reading Scripture, or, or you're, you're, maybe you're coming to church, maybe you've been coming to Chi Alpha, or you've been coming to, and you, or you've been going to small group, and you're just like, I'm just not getting anything out of it anymore. You ever been there before? You don't need to raise your hand to that, all right? Katie's like, yeah, Steve, I'm not getting anything out of your messages. No, you're scratching your head. I know. <laughs> That's my own narcissism coming out. Oh, Katie doesn't like me. All right. Uh, anyways. No, but we've been there before, right? You might be reading scripture and you're like, well, this just seems really dry. I'm just not getting anything out of the word. That's me-centered thinking, right? God-centered thinking says this. Instead of asking, what does this passage in scripture say to me, it asks, what does this passage say about God? Okay? I guarantee you, if you switch your thinking, every portion of scripture will have something to communicate to you. Because scripture doesn't point to you. It points to God. Now, God when we realize who God is and the truth about God, then it's going to possibly tell us something about ourselves and how he views us. But if I go to the Bible saying, feed me, right? Instead, I go to the Bible and I say, God, this is not, this is not a revelation of man. The book of the Bible is not a revelation of man. This is a revelation of the nature and character of God. It is the revelation of his plan. To save all of humanity and bring humanity back into right relationship with him. Which again is a reflection of his nature and character. I could talk about this for a long time, but we have to get going. 
But I want to challenge you to think that next time you sing a worship song, don't concentrate on how it makes you feel. Concentrate on what it's saying about God. And I guarantee if you do that, you might feel some things, right? You might feel joy. You might feel rest. You might feel peace. You might feel security. Falila is a great musician and does a great job leading worship, right? But Falila can't give you peace, rest, and security in the way that she plays her music, right? But when we focus on the nature and character of God in worship, that's where true worship happens, and that's where we get to experience the Lord. Okay, we're going to keep rolling. Second, practice. So we're going to practice God-centered thinking. The second practice is we need to practice teachability. Teachability. Verse 4 through 5 goes on, Paul goes on to write to the Romans and says, uh, listen, like, you're not good at everything. Understand, like, that do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Like you are just one part of the body and there are other people that are better at things than you. And this, in other words, learn from other people. And that's okay. Scripture is full of promises about teachability. When you read the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, it's this big book of really wise sayings. And it talks about time and time again of the teachable heart and the benefits of the teachable heart. Scripture is full of things that point us to an attitude of teachability. An attitude of teachability from those who are older than us and maybe wiser than us. An attitude of teachability from those who are maybe our same age or in the same stage of life. That's a lot more difficult, right? It's easy to go to like this old, you know, sage guy that's just like, ah, oh, yes, give me your wisdom, right? You've been, you're older, you're wiser. Uh, you have more facial hair, right? It's just obviously you know things, right? It's another thing to say, I'm going to be teachable with my peers. I am going to go to my peers and I'm going to say, you know, I noticed this about you. You have a really awesome talent in this area. How do you do that? How did you develop that? How do you, whatever it is, right? And then it is an even another thing to be teachable with those that we are older than. Or that we see, maybe we view as less mature in the faith. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. He goes on to talk about how that, that you should not look down upon people who are in low position. Do not be conceited. When I was in college, I would go to Pastor Brad and and every single, I, I would train myself in teachability by making sure that I was always vulnerable with my campus pastor, that he always knew what was going on in my life, but also I would come to him with questions, questions about things that I was reading in scripture, questions about uh, uh, areas of my life that I was struggling in, questions about areas of my life that I wanted to grow in, questions about areas of my life that maybe he saw a problem in that I did not. Is there somebody in your life that you can go to and say, hey, I want you to look for my blind spots? That attitude of teachability requires practice. It doesn't just going to happen. We need to make the first move at removing ourselves from the center of our universe and being able to put maybe somebody else in our life in that position that could obviously ask us the right questions and challenge us to move forward in our walk with Jesus. 
The third thing we need to practice is servanthood. Verse 10 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. In other words, put someone else's needs above your own. If you want to grow in, 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 in killing your narcissism, start by doing things that other people don't want to do. Ask Quentin how you can volunteer at Chi Alpha. Ask your small group leader what, how you could be a blessing to small group this week. It might be something super simple and super small. You might think it to be insignificant, but look for opportunities to serve and serve. My friends, you do not want to carry a, an attitude of, of, of having a hard time with servanthood into a marriage. You will realize right away when you get married, I, I, I feel bad for Erin all the time because she is married to a selfish Selfish man. That like I like my needs and I like the way th- things are. I like the things a certain way and I like whatever, right? And I like to fulfill what I want to fulfill and do what I want to do. And putting Aaron's needs above mine is a constant and daily struggle. Now it's something that I hope that I've gotten better at over the years. And I think Aaron would tell you that I do a decent job at it. I'm not like a total schlub, I don't think, right? But it's something that I have to work at and practice every single day. And it's part of the process of, that process of becoming more like Jesus. What might God be asking you to do to lower yourself into a position of saying, okay, I'm going to humble myself and put somebody else's needs above my own, even if it's not a glorious thing, even if it's not a flashy thing, even if it doesn't come with a title, even if it doesn't come with influence, even if it doesn't increase my number of, of Instagram followers, I'm just going to do this and I'm going to serve and I'm going to, I'm going to practice servanthood. And finally, the fourth thing, and the worship team can come back up, is Empathy. We need to practice empathy. Verse 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be, un- but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. If we are to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought, we need to get into the practice of Allowing ourselves to feel what other people feel. To see the world the way, try to see the world the way other people see the world. You know, there are certain things that as a, uh, uh, a dude in my 30s that I, I look back and I look at some of the things that I worried about when I was in college. And I'm like, man, I would love to go back to college. Because those worries are not like, they're just, they seem small now. But I would be a bad pastor if when, let's just say Nathan came into my office and he says, Steve, I'm really stressed about this thing. And I just looked at him and I would be like, well, you're an idiot. (laughs) That's not that big of a deal. All right. Buck up, buttercup. Let's go. Right. Absolutely not. Right. That's not what Jesus does with us. 
every one of our problems, when Jesus looks at it, I guarantee when he looks at it, he's like, this really isn't that big of a deal. (laughs) I have this covered. But does he ever make us feel that way? Absolutely not. He comes alongside us and he says, I have been tempted in every way that you were. I can empathize with you. I'm going to journey with you. I'm going for as long as you are struggling with this, I am going to be alongside with you, leading you to victory. And we need to remember this. I believe, and we need to practice empathy. Because empathy is, and, and this kind of goes back to the, to the whole process of, well, this person doesn't think the way I think. This person doesn't do what I do. This person doesn't behave the way I behave. And obviously because of that, they just, they must have a screw loose. There must be something wrong up there. They must just not be as smart as I am. Well, maybe they just haven't recognized and realized the truth that you've stepped into. Maybe they haven't understood that Jesus can heal them or set them free from those things that they're struggling with. Maybe they haven't walked in that or given Jesus all of that, and that isn't for you to judge them in, and it is not for us to to say, oh, well, that just makes you weak or whatever else it might be. We are called to rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, and to be empathetic of those around us, to say, God, help me feel what they're feeling so that I can jump in there, pray for them, and walk through this with them. We battle narcissism by engaging in God-centered thinking, by being teachable, by engaging in servanthood, by engaging in empathy. But this takes practice, you guys. And I believe this, that, that this is something that you will probably practice every day for the rest of your life if you're willing to, and it might not always or ever be perfect. But your future spouse, your future kids, your future self is thanking you right now for getting started on this now in this stage of your life. And I believe this, that when we put Jesus in the center of our universe, oh, look out world. When he gets actually put in charge of full, as gets the full reins of every single corner, nook and cranny of our life, man. That's when we start to actually accomplish things for his kingdom. So if you bow your heads with me. If you're here tonight and you realize that maybe one of those symptoms of narcissism, you've been struggling with it. And tonight you just would say, I'm going to... I'm going to pick one of these things this week. I want you to pick one of these things this week. We want to set an attainable goal tonight, all right? One of these things. You'd say, I want to grow and practice God-centered thinking. I want to grow and practice teachability. I want to grow and practice servanthood. I want to grow and practice empathy. If you're going to commit to doing at least one thing this week in at least one of those areas, just raise your hand in here. Okay, my hand's up with you. So I'm going to pray for us in just a little bit. But I also want to make sure that there's an opportunity. If you are here tonight and you have not made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, or maybe uh, maybe you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior in the past, and that's just something that's 
not been active in your life and tonight you would like to get your life right with Christ, I would love to, to, to pray with you and to let you know what that means and what the next steps are. So please come find me. I'll be in the back of the room. If you need prayer for anything else tonight, you can find me in the back of the room. But we're going to take the next few moments after I get done praying to just spend some time with Jesus, allowing him to speak to us about maybe an area of narcissism and then making it resoluted, like making a resolution in our heart that we say, God, I, I want it to be a resolute decision tonight that I'm going to make a decision to start practicing killing and fighting against my narcissism. Lord, whatever it is, God, that we're struggling with, if it's fear, insecurity, comparison, catastrophizing, judgment, God, I just bind all of those things in Jesus' name, and I pray that they would get met with an attitude of empathy, servanthood, teachability, and God-centered thinking tonight. Speak to people about specifics in here, specific things that you want them to change, that you want them to do, that you want them to stop doing, whatever it might be, God. And would you speak to us as we spend these last few moments with you? In Jesus' name, amen. the name. 